Advent, of course, is centered around two birth announcements in Luke chapter 1. The first one comes to two old people who have no business having children. Zachariah and Elizabeth are too old to have kids, but it, they're in a bummer of a situation because they're also too old to not have any kids in the house. They were dealing with infertility, and in that, which is a, an incredible challenge in, in, in any time and place. In this era that they were living in, it was a great shame. It was great shame, and people made assumptions about it. They, if, you, if you didn't have children, they, they thought you were cursed by God. They thought you were being punished by God for something you did. So in telling the story, Luke, he, he gives them a shout out. You know what he says? He says, they were walking blameless in all the commandments of the Lord. I love that he says that. In other words, he's saying, all you readers, don't you dare try to blame them for a hard thing they're going through. Isn't that a, what a compassionate phrase he put in there. And uh, the angel, of course, gets the message. And we know exactly how this works, because we once did a, a Christmas play all about this, and angels getting their messages. And sure, it was like in a newsroom, we had an assignment. Probably not at all like that. But he gets this assignment to go talk to Zechariah. And he, he does a little work ahead of time, because Zechariah is a priest in Jerusalem. And only one priest will be chosen to go in to burn incense, and they cast lots to decide. Now, there are thousands of them probably that are there at the time that come uh, uh, for like a shift. And, and so the odds of him being chosen are minuscule. I mean, just very, very tiny odds, but he gets picked to go in and burn incense in the holy place. And while he's there, an angel comes and says, hey, buddy, I got news for you. Your wife is going to have a baby. She gives him Good, he gives him good news. Good things are coming. Of course, there's more to that story. But you can read it yourself in Luke chapter 1. Because you guys all have Bibles. But of course, we skip to Mary and Elizabeth, the parallel birth story. The one we, excuse me, Mary and Joseph, the parallel birth story. Mary, of course, is young. She is engaged, but she's a virgin and nevertheless... The angel comes to her and says, hey, you are going to have a baby. Good things are coming. We see the two of these ladies meet up. That would have been something to see. They're cousins, right? And they, they've heard. They both have heard. And Mary goes and visits her cousin. She goes all the way down to Judea and makes a visit to her cousin. And there's such joy in that meeting, that John, in her womb, leaps, leaps for joy. And there's celebration because a promise has been given and good things are coming. Let's look at Luke uh, uh, chapter 1, 46 through 55. And of course, that would imply that I was ready and I was not. So, Ariah, can you jump on that for me? Thank you. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And keep going. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. 
And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He's shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those uh, of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with food and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. This song is called the Magnificat. And it's echoed down throughout the ages, the song of joy that God has spoken something and good things are coming and she believes it based on his reputation. When God makes a promise, you can trust his promise. And I think this is a great example of how a a, a great promise can be a source of great joy. Waiting. Waiting is a difficult thing. But if anyone can show us how to wait with expectation, it it is a mother who is with child. That's why I love that these two stories are here. A a mother, a pregnant mother, is by definition expectant. (laughs) You see that? She's expecting. A good thing is coming. Uh, And uh, uh, the promise itself is a source of joy. This is really what Advent is about, you guys. Christmas, yes. By the way, our stage, I think, has never looked this amazing. And I'm worried that that we can't top this. This is, the Brahms did this, and and, uh, the Bakers, and they just just blew it out. It's just gorgeous. Um, Anyway, Christmas, (laughs) Advent is not just about the nativity story. It's not just about shepherds and wise men and stars and sheep. Really, it's about waiting. (laughs) That's what it's about. It's about waiting. It's about the posture we take while waiting. So you have these two situations back 2,000 years ago of a promise given. We have our situation today because we also are waiting. What are we waiting for? We're waiting for what's spoken in Revelations 21, 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. I am making all things new. See, that's the birth announcement. Jesus is coming again to make all things new. So how do we wait? What posture do we take while waiting? Do we wait with expectancy or, 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 or do we not? Because here's the thing. It's very, very possible to wait without expectancy. It's, it's possible to wait without hope. 
You know what? We, we don't call that patience, really. There's a, there is a very specific term in the English language for waiting without expectation. Do you know what it is? Loitering. <laughs> Loitering. What are you doing? Oh, we're just here. Well, what's going to happen? Nothing. We're just here. This is why at every uh, Dairy Queen all around the country, there are no loitering signs because they know if they don't put that up there, then people are just going to wait. For what? I don't know. <laughs> I was really good at loitering when I was a teenager. I'm sure many of you as well. Maybe there are some teenagers who are still good at loitering. It's, it's, it's good. I get it. It's, there, there's a time and a place for that. For, for me, uh, um, there was a time when I was a teenager when my friends would call and say, hey, you want to do something? I don't know, whatever. I'm going to do we go to the mall? Okay. We went to Broadway Square Mall in Tyler, Texas. Broadway Square, the home of J.C. Penney. <laughs> this place where you would go to just be. And there, I mean, there was an arcade, but I was a YWAMer. I never had any money to spend at the mall anyway. But we would go and just kind of be there. And, and, and I remember one day it dawned on me, this is lame. And here's what happened. I was walking with my cousin, uh, I, I was going to the music store, and, and, uh, and uh, again, I probably didn't have any money, so it was just killing time anyway, but I'm walking into the music store, minding my own business, and I hear this young man about my age turn around and say, hey man, you're walking too close to me. I knew he was talking to me, but he looked like a boy band kind of guy, like, because back then, that's when a, a Backstreet Boys, was that the, the big one back? I don't know. They're all the same to me, but he, it was sort of like, you're, he's like that, like he looked way too pretty and too cool, you know, to like for me to take seriously in that moment as a young man. Hey, and he says it again. Hey, did you hear what I said? I said, you're walking too close to me. And my cousin says, did you hear that guy? I said, yeah. And I just kept going. I'm just shaking my head going, why am I here? What are any of us doing? Going to the mall is such an incredible waste of time. And I decided that moment, I hate malls. And I have not repented of that conviction <laughs> to this day. I despise malls. And it wasn't because that was a tense, there was nothing tense about that moment. I didn't know he wasn't going to fight me or anything. It was just like, just stop. You're just loitering. You're not doing anything. So I decided to loiter at bookstores instead, and I haven't really stopped. <laughs> Lo <laughs> the sad thing is some people make loitering a way of life. They're just kind of here, you know? What are you doing? I don't know. We're just kind of getting through life. But what does that mean? Well, it means I go to work, and then I come home. And then, uh, you know, we look for something to watch on Netflix. And it becomes a way of life. Maybe working for, you know, accumulating a, 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 enough vacation time that, that you can go some really cool place and have a good time. And then you'll come back and you, you loiter for another 50 weeks hoping for that thing. But there, there's, no, there's nothing you're, you're expecting. There's, there's, not, there's nothing hopeful. It's just become a rhythm. It's just become a pattern. This is just kind of what we do. We we kill time and we hope we'll accumulate enough pleasure. Maybe it'll turn to meaning. 
Maybe, maybe I'll not be miserable. Some Christians loiter. And this is really tragic. Some Christians will sort of loiter in a, in a huddle and just kind of wait for their evacuation orders. You know? Well, at least one day we'll be able to get out of this mess. Don't love their neighbors. Don't engage with what's going on. Because when you lose vision, how can you be expectant when you lose vision? You see, this isn't what we're called to. We're called to something, something different. I remember when this young lady here was pregnant with our first daughter. 19 years ago. And we were living uh, in, a, in an apartment in Hudson, Wisconsin, right across the border from Minnesota. And we were, you know, we were in our early 20s and we we're trying to figure out how, what do we, what do, we do? How do we be parents? We can't be, because you really can't be prepared, by the way. Just for those of you who are going to have children someday, you can't really be prepared. I mean, you can, you can do as much as you can. You work toward it, but there's going to be curveballs, right? We are filling our house with, with, with stuff. We, we, I, I learned how to put a crib together. I had to do that um, many, many more times because we had many children. <laughs> and, and, and so we're, you know, here's the crib, and, and here's all this stuff. We got a, something called a diaper genie. You guys seen the diaper genies? <laughs> Which sounds like a great idea until you are throwing all the diapers away, and it's like they're like a bunch of sausage links, and it's kind of t- vaguely disconcerting. We're filling our home with things that are going, so hopefully, you know, going to, to prepare us and, 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 and putting stuff that we think she might love into it. Teddy bears, little books. We got books for us, too. Somebody got me a book. I just remembered this this morning. Called She Calls Me Daddy. I don't remember really anything about this book. I just remember the title because my little brother Ivan always made fun of me. But it was a book about how do you raise little girls. I actually do remember one thing about it. It was this. You see, when you're 22 or whatever, and you're about to have a daughter, this is scary on lots of levels because you don't know anything about babies or how to make them survive. Um, (laughs) but, But also, if you're a guy like me, like... You're just trying to figure out this species still, right? And so when it's a girl coming along, it's like, what am I supposed to do here? And, and, and I remember this one discussion in this book. It's like, okay, if you have a boy, there's some of these parts that are so easy. Um, like, you can just grunt at your son, and that's communication. Like, they're good with that. And this, this is true. And, and, like, you can just pick them up and throw them around, and that's communication. That's love, and, that's, and this is absolutely... The gender stereotypes here, okay, whatever. Um, We're all grown up. (laughs) This is absolutely held up in my house. When I come in, to to this day, here's Sam back here. When I come in my house and I see Sam, he comes up at me, he runs at me with this like really belligerent face and I grab him by the collar and I go, you. And then I give him a stage slap, you know, where I'm slapping my own hand. But he's an actor, right? And he gets into this and he's like, oh, and he recoils back. How could you? And he runs at me and I pick him up and I throw him down. And I do this with Nathan too. Like, that, that's love. <laughs> I've had to remind myself not to do that stage slap in public because he's so good at it. It looks like I'm harming the child. Um, 
But that is what you do. But they were telling you, like, okay, that's, that's probably the way you're comfortable with. Don't you dare do that with girls. With little girls, you have to, you have to speak in sentences. Which is, why? <laughs> sentences. And, and when you come in, like, crouch down to their level. Hey, princess, how are you doing? Like that. That. And that's what... I had to, I had to hurt, learn this whole new thing because I had to prepare. I was expecting a daughter. And so whatever I could do to prepare the home and prepare myself, it was a joy to do. This, I think, I want to suggest to you is how we're called to wait for Christ's return. Not passively, but expectantly. To get ourselves ready to get our homes, our families ready, to get our communities ready because he's coming back. We don't talk about this very much anymore, maybe because of all the people who have put up billboards saying when he's coming back. Do you guys remember? <laughs> remember the billboards of 2012, I think it was? They were all over, and it was like, Jesus is coming back. It was like the 29th of May or something, I don't know. And it said, the Bible guarantees it. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh gosh. Oh, so painful. But, but just because people try to pin a number and a time and a date on it, which Jesus explicitly told us don't do, just because some people do it, does that mean we should pull away from the reality that Jesus really is coming back? Oh, may it never be, friends, because this is our great hope. Creation is dealing with the birth pangs, is longing for his return. And this is our hope that he came once to inaugurate his kingdom, but he's coming back. And that is good news, and that is reason for joy. We wait with expectation. That means we get our lives ready. That means we don't loiter. And if we've been loitering, we repent of loitering. Lord, give me purpose. Give me vision. Help me to believe that you're coming back. Help me to believe you care not only uh, uh, about my soul, but my neighbor and my community. Help me to fill my home with things that you love. Because we're preparing, right? We're preparing our homes. We're preparing our communities. We're preparing our cities. We're preparing our churches for his return. That means we fill it with things that he loves. What does he love? Well, he loves peace. He's the prince of peace. He loves joy. He loves forgiveness. Do you know how much he loves forgiveness? Oh, he loves forgiveness, you guys. Do you know what he doesn't love? A lot of what we see that makes us so very down. Slander. Hatred. So we combat those things with things that he loves and we invite the Holy Spirit to infuse the fruits of the Holy Spirit everywhere we go and everywhere we are. Because those are things we want to prepare the world for his return. Just as you prepare a nursery for a coming child. We wait with an eye on the promise and the promise is beyond our circumstances. You know what the saddest thing is? And I say this because I speak from 
tons and tons of experience here of being this person. But the, when, when you see a person whose shoulders are slumped all the time because of present circumstances, someone who believes and loves Jesus but can't seem to see beyond the immediate clouds that are overhead and think that that cloud is the definition of reality. Friends, it's so sad because there's something greater and you can see from that person. And again, I was that person. And if I'm not careful, I start to be that person again. Here's the circumstance. You don't know if this is going to change. And therefore, you can't taste joy. But see, part of the source of joy is the promise itself. The promise that it's not always going to be this way. The promise that, that Jesus will come and set everything right that he will wipe away every tear, that sorrow will be gone, that death will be no more. That is a reason for hope. Romans 8, 15 through 22. I'm gonna read this out of the message because I think this is beautiful. The resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike What's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is, and we know where we're going, father and children. And we know we are going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Christ goes through. If we go through the hard times with him, then we're certainly going to go through the good times with him. That's why I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times. The created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. Everything in creation is being more or less held back. God reigns it in until both creation and the creatures are ready and can be released at the same moment into the glorious times ahead. Meanwhile, the joyful anticipation deepens. All around us, we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. But it's not only around us, it's within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within. We're also feeling the birth pangs. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. And that's why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become and the more joyful our expectancy. Isn't that a wonderful paraphrase? Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, said this, our entire life is Advent. <laughs> A time of waiting for a new heaven and a new earth. To see peace on earth and goodwill among people. That is what we're doing. We are waiting. Our entire life is Advent. But it's not a passive waiting. Advent is not passive. It is waiting with expectancy. I thought I might lose my dad this past week. My dad... Uh, 71 years old and has all kinds of health problems, um, significant health problems, and he got COVID. And uh, last weekend he went into the hospital 
and his oxygen level was, was incredibly low, and um, he, he wasn't, uh, he was kind of delirious, and he wasn't making sense. They rush him into the hospital, and, and they ended up putting him in ICU. He was in ICU for almost the whole week. And we were getting reports of like, oh my goodness, is, is, is this the end? And uh, I sort of had to come to this thing of like, I might not see my father again. And, and, and so I, I'm evaluating. I'm like, well, he and I are at a really, really good place in our relationship, so I wouldn't have regrets there. But man, I would, you know, I'd miss him, you know, and, and, and he's not that old. He's only 71, and there's, you start thinking about these things. And, but you know, so much comes back to something like this. Ah, even if I never see him again, I'm still going to see him again. Yes, I know that could be trite for somebody who is actually dealing with mourning. But it is a truth. We don't mourn like, like everyone. There is truth and there is beauty here that Jesus will return and make all things new. And I don't just hold on to that like in this desperate, like, oh, well, at least there's this. We can hold on to this saying, look at how beautiful this is. He will return and make all things new. Julian of Norwich said this famously in a prayer. All shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. This is our hope. I'm so thankful for doctors and nurses. So thankful that as they've been working with my own father, he's come out of intensive care and is now in a different hospital bed. And is texting and is even posting on Facebook. Like all of that is like, <gasps> I'm so thankful for those people who are doing the work of the Lord, whether or not they even know it. You see? People are doing kingdom work and they might not even know it. You know why? Because Jesus is the healer. He's the healer. And what are these people doing? They're healing people. They're doing the things that he loves. They're doing the things that he does. Isn't that a beautiful thing? You can work for the kingdom even if you don't know the king. Like, he opens up that opportunity. I'm so thankful for the many different areas that God calls us to. I'm so thankful for counselors. Let's think about Corey this morning. So thankful for counselors like Corey Jackson. Because they go and they enter into a person's life and they seek to bring healing. They seek to bring peace into troubled souls. And that's the work of Jesus Christ. And one day all will be well. And Corey will reach his limit with any individual just like a doctor or nurse will. They can only do so much, but Jesus is not limited. And one day he will return and all shall be well. All shall be well. All manner of things shall be well. Are you, are you broken? Are, are you sick? All shall be well. Are you struggling with depression? I have good news for you. All shall be well. Are you struggling with infertility? 
all shall be well. Are you poor? Are you brokenhearted? One day Jesus will come and restore it all. And this is our great hope, friends. This is our great hope, that he did not leave and leave us alone. He left and he sent his spirit to work with us and he will return. This is the hope of Advent. This is the joy of waiting while believing the promise. Do you believe the promise? Do you believe the promise? Friends, forgive me if I sound like a lunatic, but Jesus Christ is coming back. He's coming back. That is our hope. It's not in systems. It's not in circumstances. It's in him and him alone. Do do you believe me? Thank you, Jesus, that you have not left us alone. Thank you for the promise of your return. Thank you for your promise of redemption. Thank you for your promise of restoration. Lord, help us to embrace it. Help us to embrace it as our posture. Thank you, Jesus, that with your return, all shall be well. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Bless you, friends. It's so good to be with you this morning. If you need prayer for anything, please let us know. We'd love to pray with you.